Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, uh, thank you for the opportunity to learn from the Ten Commandments. Last week we had a challenging one, thou shalt not murder. And today another one, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so we ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom, remind us of what your scriptures say, or impress upon us things that we have not thought in the past, that we need to align our thinking and our actions with your inspired and errant word. Guide us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. I've learned a lot from Dr. Al Mohler. He's the president of Southern Seminary. I don't believe I've ever met him, but I've read a lot of his books, including From the Fire. And in that book, he talks about something I relate to. He said, when it comes to Valentine's Day, he's not the best at it. He said, it's difficult to go and and find a card that says exactly what I want to say to Betty Ann or what he wants to say to his wife, Mary. And so you kind of read through all of these cards and they're all kind of awkward and mushy and, and they don't say exactly what you think. And then he goes on to say something I've thought in my mind but never said out loud. Then I gotta pay six or seven dollars for a piece of cardboard that doesn't even say what I wanted to say. It is not that Betty Ann or Mary aren't worth six or seven dollars. They're worth way more than that. It just feels like a shakedown to pay six or seven dollars for words that you would never say. But this particular Valentine's Day, he said he had game. He got it right. He, he thought, you know, I've got this gift-giving thing down pat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like I have this gift-giving thing down pat. I go and I buy the card, and, and then I give Betty Ann flowers. That's always a winner. And then I buy her a couple more presents. We have mixed bag there. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I'm not so good. But this particular Valentine's Day, Al Mohler had game. He did not stand in the checkout line of shame. Some of you have been there, 5.30 Valentine's Day at night. You have forgotten to buy a card and you've gone to the, the flower place and everything, all the petals are on the ground and you've gone through the cards and there's almost nothing left and you buy your card, your, your wife a I love you aunt card because that's all there is in the whole place. And you've walked in this, this line of shame behind all these other men and husbands and, and you know what that's like. He did not do that. He had game. He bought the card several days in advance. And then he wrote some things on the bottom and he just knew that she would love the card. And he gave the card to her and he watched and he, he knew she would be wowed. He knew that she would be wooed. It was going to be a, a home run. No doubt about it. We guys know this stuff. And he knew it and she read it and she did not have a smile on her face. He learned a lesson that day, always read the whole card, including the last line, which thanked her for the blended family, each of them bringing kids into the marriage, and how wonderful that was. 
Now, if you bought a card, you know what it's like. It's 45 to 60 minutes of terror and horror. And, and you start skimming and you start speed reading. And, and Al Mohler apparently is not a good speed reader because he skipped that last line. Well, now every time the adult kids get together, they kind of tell dad periodically which side of the family they came from. <laughs> They're not letting this thing go. So there are appropriate Valentine cards for traditional marriages, for blended marriages. But now in the last 10 years, because of a gal named Kathy Gallagher, we have a third type of card. They're cards for those involved in affairs. She got this idea about 10 years ago that we ought to have a set of cards. She made 24 initial ones for people who have secret paramours, they're adultery cards. And it's so caught on that she's expanded and it's so caught on that other organizations are now publishing adultery cards. You can buy a card, not you, but a person can buy a card for their secret paramour about adultery. Adultery has become big business in our country. We already knew that because of pornography. We know it because of Ashley Madison. That's the site with the tagline, life is short, have an affair. And for the life of me, I can't think of why anyone would be on Ashley Madison. It's crazy. You remember like five years ago, 30 million names were put out accidentally by Ashley Madison. 30 million individuals seeking adultery. One of which was the vice president of the Evangelical Free Church. This is an Evangelical Free Church. That's shameful. And I was part of the national board that had to try and clean that mess up. That's awful. Awful. But today, after 30 million names were released internationally, Ashley Madison has 60 million customers. You'd think some people would learn. And to all of this, God says in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Now, strictly speaking, adultery would be stepping outside of a husband-wife marriage relationship, and having an intimate relationship with someone other than your spouse. But as is true with many of the commandments, last week uh, John Payne shared with us that Jesus went on to say about murder that if you, have, you say raka to an enemy, you have metaphorically murdered them. And so it's our hatred, our anger that actually constitutes murder. That's what's happened with the seventh command. The rabbis expanded the understanding of thou shalt not commit adultery to any type of inappropriate intimate relationship. Now we wouldn't know what to do if just the rabbis did it, but Jesus did it. He said, verily I say unto you, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, he expanded the meaning of the seventh command 
to all sorts of inappropriate thoughts, observations, voyeurism, pornography, and the like. All of that falls under the category, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now let's not misunderstand. It is not that the church, or far more important, God, is against intimacy. The first being to ever have a sexual thought was God, who created intimacy as good and right, but always within the bounds of a husband-wife marriage relationship. When we go outside the marriage relationship, when we become voyeuristic, when we are engaged in pornography, when we start going outside before marriage or during marriage, or when marriage isn't a husband-wife relationship, we are outside the bounds that God clearly gives us in Scripture. And God says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, sometimes when I preach, I do this. I've kind of stopped doing this because I'm told that some of you stop listening because you're wondering if I'm going to fall off or not. And, you know, you take the over and the under and money is passed back and forth and people are betting and it just kind of hurts things because I get as close to the line as I possibly can. Sometimes people do that with adultery. They get as close to the line as they possibly can and they ask the wrong question. How close can I get rather than how far away should I be? And I think the seventh commandment is all about this idea of affair proofing our marriages or keeping ourselves from illicit intimacy or inappropriate voyeurism, which is all voyeurism, or the like. And rather than saying, how close can I get? How far can I go? Where's the line? We should be backing far off the line and understand that it's not just a strict line when it says thou shalt not commit adultery. It's telling us, be careful, be wise, stay away from trouble. So what might that look like? Well, some of my rules for, for me, I'll just share with you. They might be different for you. But I decided many, many years ago, probably following Billy Graham, who talked about it, that I would not ride alone in a car with a person of the opposite gender of whom I was not related to. I wouldn't do that. I just think it's an unwise thing. I won't go out to a restaurant with a person of the opposite gender of whom I'm not related to, unless it happens to be a group. I won't have coffee at a coffee shop with a person of the opposite gender. I just won't do that. I think that is playing with fire. And we have to decide, even though something might not be a sin, it might be unwise. And where is the wisdom line in our lives and what wisdom do we want to put in our lives to make sure we're not getting close to lines in which we cross? Now, I know some views like these are like Victorian. They're out of bounds in our society. But I have a job in which 
I regularly interact with people who have gone too far. A few minutes ago, I was in a different service and I realized there were three professional counselors in that room, probably that many in this room as well. And I made a statement that, you know, if you do what I do for a living, you think clearly about boundaries because so many people have crossed them that never intended to cross them. And the three counselors were going like this because they've listened to individuals who never intended to be where they're at, but they were asking questions about how close I can get to the line and they're not thinking through how to safeguard their lives and they're playing with fire. The workplace is particularly difficult in today's world. I think we ought to consider couple friendships. I have friends that are females, but they're not the same as the friends that are males. I do things with the guys on staff that I don't do with the gals on staff. Every so often they even joke with me about it and they'll say, when are you going to go out to lunch with me? They're joking. But they already know the answer I'm not going to because it's a boundary that I have and I think it's a wise boundary. From fifth grade through college, I grew up in upstate New York. The day I wrote this sermon is the day that Andrew Cuomo resigned. Uh, the Cuomos are a big name in New York. I grew up with his father, Mario, as the governor. And so it's not just Andrew, it's Mario. And I don't think there are too many New Yorkers that couldn't have predicted what happened. This isn't a Democrat, a Republican, or independent statement. I think most New Yorkers for the last 40 years would have predicted what happened. I know the Cuomo's say it's their ethnicity. I don't think so. The sexual innuendos and the jokes and, and the way they interact with individuals. That's been a joke in New York for 40 years. It just caught up to them. But they have crossed the line over and over again. And nobody that I know of knew the illegal stuff. We didn't know that. What we knew is what we saw over and over again for 40 years. And they didn't have boundaries. And it caught up to them. I think of Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. It says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. It's kind of a strange last three words, but rather thanksgiving. That actually tells us what ought to occupy our time. It ought to be acts of worship filled with thanksgiving for who God is, what he's done. But instead, we're pulled in the other direction, and we have coarse joking and talks, and we have not just a hint of immorality, but immorality all around us. And what God wants us to do is a full proof, a fair proof 
our present marriage or future marriage. He wants us to guard our lives, guard our thoughts, guard what we listen to, guard what we look at. He wants us to guard our lives. It's just wisdom. And the Bible wants us to live wisely. If you were to come in for counseling, you would notice in my office that I have a window that goes outside and I have a window that goes into the hall. I have blinds, they're always up. If it's after hours, one of my coworkers will stay or, or Betty Ann occasionally has come in. You may not know this. Now I'm letting a secret out, though it's actually on a little sign as you sit there. I have a camera in my office. My office is recorded 24-7, 365, no audio, just visual. Everything in my office is recorded 24-7, 365. Why? Because that's just a wise barrier in my life. It's a wise barrier for who comes into my office. So when you sit there, you'll actually see on the wall, it says some of our offices are videotaped. I don't know which ones are, I just know mine is because I had them put that in years and years ago. I think that's a wise precaution in my life, and you would have wise precautions in yours. Listen to what the scriptures say. First Timothy uh, 3, verse 2, it's, it's actually written to elders, but I think it applies to all of us. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, uh, by the way, that doesn't mean married once. That would be a posgagamanas. But this means, this is ganakas uh, andras, a un ganakas andras, a one woman man. That's what the text says. Uh, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. We have something very similar in Titus 2.3 for women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. They are to teach what is good and to train the young woman. I am sure, no need to send me an email, I'm sure old refers to maturity, not age. But what is the combination? It says that we are to be above reproach, faithful in marriage, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and reverent. Something does not need to be sinful to be unwise. Think about that. Something does not need to be sinful to be unwise. And something does not need to be sinful to damage one's present marriage or one's future marriage or one's reputation. Wisdom tells us not to get to the edge, but to stay away from the edge. I think of Atlanta psychiatrist, Dr. Frank Pittman, he has a book, Private Lies, L-I-E-S. He makes two statements I want to read. He says, the essence of an affair is in establishing a secret intimacy with someone. So as soon as we need to establish a secret intimacy, in his opinion, we're already crossed the line into an affair. And then he makes, I think, an even more profound statement. He says, infidelity in its early stages is not really primarily about whom we lie with. It's whom we lie to. If we have to start lying to somebody 
about where we are, where we're going, who we're with, we're already way past trouble. So it's not just waiting until we lie with somebody. It's are we needing to lie to somebody? And we know if that gets there, we're already in trouble. Another boundary, because I think we should be careful about unloading emotional intimacy to somebody of the opposite gender who's not a counselor or a pastor, someone of the opposite gender who we're not related to, because as we unload emotional intimacy and they unload emotional intimacy, what actually occurs is we create intimacy. And again, I don't know very many people who have fallen into an affair who would say to me, you know, I set out for that. I think the people with Ashley Madison, they're setting out for that. But that's not been my experience. My experience has been people don't set out to get to where they ended up. And they kind of say, I don't even know how I got there. Well, I think we get there because we don't set up wise boundaries. And we say, well, that's not sinful. Well, something doesn't have to be sinful to be unwise. That also happens with pornography. Um, nobody sets out to be addicted to pornography. I'm very convinced of that. But what happens is you release neurotransmitters, chemical signals, dopamine in your body while seeing images, and that gives you a euphoria, and it draws you back to that euphoria. And over time, what once caused the euphoria doesn't, so you get deeper and deeper into it, and you look at more graphic things to get the same joy you had the first time, and you create new pathways in your brain. And you yearn for this dopamine, this happy event, and you become addicted. But there's hope. You can get off of pornography. I think they showed before the service that in January, we're going to have a group for women, and we're going to have a group for men, for those who want to have freedom from bondage. We're hoping to have it ready for the sermon, but we're a little bit uh, behind. We're not able to pull it off. In January, we'll pull it off. We'll tell you how to get in that group. It'll be very quiet, uh, not to hurt anyone's reputation for individuals who want to get very serious about getting out of bondage to things like pornography and the like. Recovery is possible. All things are possible in Christ. You memorize scripture and you say it during the moments in which you feel tempted. You have an accountability partner. You put covenant eyes on your electronic instruments. You meet with individuals who ask hard questions. You stop frequenting places and sites where you or I or whoever has, has gone before. And, and there's freedom that can come. It doesn't come overnight because there's addiction. I read that for most it would be 30 days of porn-free to unregulate the paths in your brain 
For those who are very, very addicted, it might be 60 or 90 days. And if somebody engages in pornography, somewhere during that, you kind of have to reset and start all over again. But there's freedom in Christ. The text says, do not commit adultery. And we say, why? Our society winks at it. In fact, our society trumps it. Why is it that big a deal? Well, Scripture says it's a sin against the Lord, so it hurts our reputation with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. It also hurts or wounds another individual. And it actually is the only sin listed in the Bible that is a sin against one's own self. Let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read verses 15 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as is it written, the two shall become one flesh. By the way, this is why in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, if an innocent spouse decides to leave a marriage because her or his partner commits adultery, this is exactly why it's allowed. Because the oneness between a husband and wife is broken and a new oneness is formed when someone commits adultery. That's what the text actually says. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you, Christ's follower, were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So if you're in Gen 180, or if you're of the age of Gen 180, 7th grade through 12th grade, but I'm actually going to expand it to freshman and sophomore in college. So if you are from 7th grade all the way through your first couple years in college, if you will memorize 1 Corinthians 6, not all that I just said, but verses 17 to 20, on December 23rd, you've got you to share it with one of our youth staff it could be Pastor Andrew or Pastor Dan and Merrill or Pastor Jared or with Sarah or when she gets here from California, Bianca. You could share it with any of those five people. Then on December 23rd, uh, our staff, our youth staff will take you out to lunch. Eat as much as you want. Jared is footing the bill. It doesn't matter how much you eat. So you just need to Memorize 1 Corinthians 6, 17 to 20, and you got to say it to one of our staff, and they'll give you the time and the location. If it were me, I would like push for a really good steakhouse or something, whatever. Uh, it's good stuff. So, what are those verses again? I want to actually read them one more time. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. A great passage for all of us to be able to cite during times when we face temptations. What happens when we cross the line? Well, the text says that we've sinned against the Lord. It hurts our relationship. We've sinned against or with another person and hurt them. And then we've sinned against our own body. What does that mean? Well, it could be very simple. An unplanned pregnancy or an STD certainly is our relationship with the Lord, but it also kind of refers to the emotional baggage that we now carry with us. And sometimes I'll have people a decade, three decades, four decades later come into my office and they're just still carrying the pain of decisions made years earlier. And there's freedom. There's freedom because there's grace. Let me read about that freedom. I'm going to start out and you're going to say, that's the best you got, Jeff. It's kind of tough. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. But it gets really gracious. Or do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, those who use foul language, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just because I'm reading, I'm going to change the pronouns to we, not you. I wouldn't change it in the Bible, but I'm just going to include myself. And such were some of us. But we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch the categories? Revilers, bad language, swindlers, taking advantage of others, sins of the tongue. Oh man, that gets like all of us. Sexual sins, substance abuse, etc. There are actually six categories. I can only think of five. I would guess that the best in this room are guilty of maybe two or three. I would guess a number of people are guilty of all five or six, even if I can't remember the six. That's who we were. But if a day has come where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you've said, yes, I'm a sinner in need of saving and I accept what Jesus did on the cross, his death as a payment of my sin, his resurrection as evidence after the grave, I believe in Christ, I receive him as Savior and Lord. That's who we were. But we are now in Christ. And you say, yeah, but... I did that, but I still do some of these things. And we keep short accounts with the Lord. And we agree with God, which is confession. 
And our youth group is Generation 180, turning 180 degrees away from sin in the world and towards the Lord. And we say, Lord, I, don't, I can't believe I said that again. I can't believe this, the sin of my tongue again. You gotta be tired of this. I'm tired of this. Forgive me. Empower me by your spirit to turn towards righteousness. But it's not cheap grace. It's not, I do it. Oh, well, sorry, God. I do it. <laughs> well, sorry. Ah, you know what I'm going to say, God. And we really want to confess. We really want to be empowered by God's spirit. We really want to turn. 1 Corinthians 11 says, and such were some of you, us. But we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And we couple that with the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, expanded by Jesus to all areas of immorality. And suddenly the seventh commandment hits all of us because it's about a relationship. A relationship with the living God and it's about relationships one with another and we got to guard our eyes and guard our ears and guard the places we go and guard our thought life and confess and turn from our sin and towards righteousness. I don't know what came over me in the last hour. Traditions, they're all like the age of my parents but the last thing I said, I don't know what came over me. I said if you're not dead, this is about you. And then I thought, oh, I just said that to my grandparents. <laughs> They're probably not inviting me back. But it's true. If you're not dead, the seventh commandment is for you and for me. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I know that there's an amber alert going out. We've all had it on our phones. So we pray for this child. We pray that this child would be safe and protected, found and returned to the right parents. Protect this dear child. Father, protect us. Protect what we see and what we allow ourselves to see and hear and do and go and think about. We know that the seventh commandment applies to all of us. And we all have room for growth. We're thankful that you empower us by your spirit to help us to grow. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.